Welcome to Spotlight on Aitborn. I'm the playwright Alan Aitborn's archivist, Simon Murgatroyd, and I'm looking into the creation of and background to some of his most significant works, delving into the Aitborn archive and also turning to the playwright himself for answers. The Norman Conquests is inarguably one of Alan Aitborn's most famous and significant works. It has been produced around the world, as well as adapted for television and radio. Five decades after being written, it is still frequently produced by professional and amateur companies, both as a trilogy or as standalone plays. But how did Alan Aitborn come to write The Norman Conquests and why a trilogy? At the time, multi-part plays were extremely rare and seen by many theatre producers as box office death. It was an unusual and risky choice to write or produce a trilogy, as the playwright himself admits. All I can remember very clearly is after the first performance, and we were all saying, you realise if we get a stinking reviews for this first one, we've actually got to go on twice more knowing we're on a loser. The genesis of the Norman Conquest can be found a year before it premiered and not, as one might expect, in the playwright's adopted hometown of Scarborough, but instead in the city of Sheffield. During the summer of 1972, Alan brought Scarborough's Library Theatre Company to Sheffield's recently opened Crucible Theatre, where they presented the world premiere production of David Campton's gothic play Carmilla, and this was for a week. This would coincide with rehearsals for Alan Aikman's latest play, Absurd Person Singular, which was due to open just two weeks later in Scarborough. As the Library Theatre was a repertory company, the actors in Camilla were obviously also those appearing in Absurd Person Singular, so Alan found himself rehearsing the play in Sheffield that week. It was during one of these days that the seed of what would become the Norman Conquests was planted. It started at the Sheffield Crucible, where they have a main auditorium and a studio theatre. I breezed in there one day to see the director and he asked me for a play. I said, fine. I always say fine to everybody. 20 minutes later, the studio theatre director asked me for a play too. And I said, fine again. I then thought it would be a lovely joke to have a play going on in the big house and the off-stage action going on in the studios, with the actors cross-fertilising. Well, nothing came of that. But at the end of the Scarborough season, the local press boy came bounding up the stairs and asked what I'd got planned for next year. I said, dunno, might finish up with the trilogy. So there was a note in the paper, trilogy eagerly expected. I didn't put a denial in. I thought, since the gods have said that, let's have a go. The story that Alan spuriously told a newspaper he was writing a trilogy is almost certainly true, although sadly I've never been able to track down the specific article which announced the trilogy and caused the library theatre manager to apparently have a practical breakdown upon hearing the news. The article has been claimed by various local newspapers over the decades, but none has ever been able to reproduce it. So what then was the inspiration? Well, here's Alan Aitborn talking in 1974 about his creative inspiration for the trilogy. 
Well, I've always been fascinated whenever I went to the theatre, as indeed I think a lot of people are, by the um, what happens off stage as much as what happens on stage. Uh, with these plays, which sprang out of an earlier play of mine, Absurd Person Singular, in which I effectively set the off-stage action on stage. In these three plays, I've carried that to its logical conclusion, in that I've, um, I've said on, say, on a Tuesday night, you can see such and such an action, and if you're really curious to know what happens off stage during that play, come on Wednesday and see for yourself. And if you're still not satisfied, come on Thursday and see the remaining third of the action, which happens in the garden. It's no great secret that at the time, Alan had a fairly unusual writing pattern, generally to the latest possible deadline before rehearsals began. We know the trilogy opened at the Library Theatre on 18th of June 1973. We also know Alan spent 10 days writing the trilogy, and from correspondence this can be accurately placed that starting between the 20th to the 22nd of May, with all three plays completed, typed up and duplicated by the start of rehearsals somewhere between the 2nd and 4th of June. That's essentially a complete play every three days. Alan wrote the plays during the night. It mustn't be forgotten, he was also artistic director of the Library Theatre by this point, and even though the season hadn't begun yet, he would still have responsibilities during the day. He recalls he would begin writing in the early evening and then continue writing until about six o'clock in the morning. He would then sleep. In the afternoon, having dealt with any outstanding theatre business, he would dictate the previous night's notes to his then PA, now wife, Heather Stoney, from his handwritten notes. This enabled him to hear what he had written as speech and to make amends on the fly. From there, he would start the process again. This was complicated, of course, by the fact he was writing three plays which often had complementary actions which means he had to be constantly aware of what was happening in the equivalent scene in the other plays. This, as the playwright is about to explain, added another level of complexity to the writing. The technique of writing, it was extremely difficult because I was suddenly faced with having to write what I can't do, about six hours of comedy writing. But each play, to my mind, must remain independent uh, because it, it seemed a lot I mean, it's difficult enough to get people to come to the theatre once, but three times was impossible. So each play had to stand on its own. And so I wrote them crosswise. Scene one, garden, scene one, living room, scene one, sitting room and dining room, and across and across and across. And there are actually 12 scenes. I just hope to heavens they work downwards. Um, I didn't finish them till two days before we started rehearsing, so I never really bothered to check. Um, they seemed to work out all right. Sadly. We have nothing in archive relating to Alan Aitbourne's early notes or first drafts for any of the trilogy plays. That's not to say they don't exist, as Alan recalls that he gave his handwritten first drafts to the actor Michael Gambon as a present following the success of the West End transfer of the trilogy in 1974. If this recollection is true and Michael Gambon has stored them away somewhere safe, then perhaps the original manuscripts will one day come to light and we'll get further insight into how these plays developed. It's worth noting the scripts were also shaped by certain practical constraints imposed on Alan. All three plays were written with just two stage entrances as that is all the library theatre had, both of which were on the same side of the round and very close to each other. The budget for the entire Scarborough season only allowed for six actors, 
So the plays were written for six actors who had also been cast by the time Alan began writing. There is no doubt the playwright wrote Norman with Christopher Godwin firmly in his mind. There were also two other important considerations. The first was to make each play stand independently of each other, as Alan had no faith that audiences would necessarily turn up for all three parts. Secondly, he realised that with such a sprawling endeavour, he had to take even more care, building up the characters and their relationships. No play holds up, even for two hours, uh, in my view, without a very careful establishment of character. And the longer the play, the more carefully the characters have to, and their relationships have to be explored. In this play, for me, I think, I've, I've explored relationships probably more closely than ever before. It's been very rewarding, because it's also got nearer to my ideal comedy, which is comedy of character. The final piece in the puzzle is also something which has inadvertently affected the production of the trilogy almost constantly since it opened. Just before Alan began writing, the actor Christopher Godwin contacted him to say his current job had been extended and he couldn't attend the initial rehearsals. Well, Alan knew the first play in the schedule was Table Manners and thus that would be the first to be rehearsed. As a result, when he began writing Table Manners, he didn't introduce Norman until the second scene, so that by the time Norman appeared, Christopher would be available to rehearse. Sadly, this subsequently led to the misapprehension that there is a correct order to seeing the Norman Conquest trilogy, starting with Table Manners. The playwright emphatically denies this. Having finished the plays, Alan sent them immediately to his agent, Margaret Ramsey, better known as Peggy, a legend in the business and who had guided Alan's career since 1961. Alan was fairly certain no one had ever attempted anything of this nature before, with one weekend's events being observed from three different perspectives and he was uncertain whether it would work. If he was looking for reassurance from Peggy, not much was forthcoming. As the correspondence shows, Peggy wasn't terribly taken with the first two plays, seemingly more interested in the fate of the cat than the characters themselves, although she apparently enjoyed Round and Round the Garden the most of the plays. The trilogy opened on June the 18th at the Library Theatre, less than three weeks after Peggy read them for the first time. They were produced as Fancy Meeting You, Make Yourself at Home and Round and Round the Garden. The first two would later be retitled Table Manners and Living Together for the West End Transfer the following year. What's also very important to note is they weren't called the Norman Conquests at any point at this time, nor were they advertised as a trilogy. The Library Theatre in Scarborough was hugely reliant on tourists. This was a theatre which still was only operating annually for 13 weeks during the summer season, and its survival depended on the success of each season, particularly the success of the annual Eightbourne World Premiere. Alan knew most tourists were visiting the town for just a week and it would be a huge ask for them to come to the theatre three times. So there was little emphasis on the plays being a trilogy, only that they were connected 
and the experience might be enhanced by seeing more than one of the plays. This is Alan's programme note for Living Together. Tonight we see events in the lives of a family from the point of view of a living room over a single weekend. Complementing this and running in repertoire with it are different views of the same period of time seen from the dining room, fancy meeting you, and the garden, round and round the garden. For me, it is a new and, as far as I know, untried experiment in comedy. I hope you enjoy these three views of characters from a choice of four directions, which makes about 64 different ways of looking at it. Despite this, it appears plenty of people did go and see all three plays and embraced the concept as the Library Theatre was reported to have one of its most successful seasons ever. This was probably also a point of relief for Alan, given he had been appointed Artistic Director of the company the previous November, and a disastrous first season in the role would not have been a good look. This, then, was just the start of the Norman Conquest journey. Talk would soon turn to the West End and giving the trilogy an actual name. But this is another story for another day. That's how the Norman Conquests, or the unnamed Eightborn trilogy as it was that first year, came to be created and written. Part two will look at the West End production of the trilogy. And if you want to know more about the Norman Conquests, visit Alan Aikborn's official website at thenormanconquests.alanaikborn.net. I hope you've enjoyed this insight into the creation of the Norman Conquests, and please subscribe if you've enjoyed listening. Spotlight on Aikborn is researched, written and narrated by Simon Murgatroyd and includes archival recordings of Alan Aikborn. It is produced in association with the Borthwick Institute for Archives at the University of York and is a Haydoning Limited production.